Hello and welcome back to Take Orally, uh, continuing our early clinical experience series. Uh, last episode we did lower limb um, a neuro exam, now we're going to do upper limb neuro exam. And hello Lucy Harris once again, hello. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello over Zoom. Hello. Because we are being uh, good and isolated. Uh, so we're going to use uh, similar mnemonics to the lower limb, is that right? Yeah, certainly. There's a bit of overlap when it comes to um, the system. So uh, learn the system and you should be able to do the system for both upper and lower limb neurological examination without missing any of the key points. Um, and again, we're going to be assessing um, all parts of the uh, neurological system, including the brain, cerebellum, spinal cord, spinal nerves and peripheral nerves. Um, so just in terms of the system uh, in the Philippines, children still run free. Um, we're going to be um, inspect. Um, we're going to be examining uh, in general inspection, tone, power, coordination, sensation, reflexes, and function as before. Excellent. Um, starting with our our general inspection. After introducing ourselves to the patient, establishing we have the right patient. Um, um, and uh, gauging their consent, um, we would then go on to assess, um, do a general inspection. And really, with general inspection of upper limb neuro, you will be assessing the patient, probably sat down, potentially on a couch or a trolley, but looking to see that they've got um, good symmetry, that they've come to a rest, that they're not leaning to one side in particular. Um, you may have already... Um, on entering the cubicle or coming to see them, notice that they are holding themselves in a slightly odd posture um, or, or that they've got some deformity or you can see some clear muscle wasting on the shoulders or coming down the arms. The mnemonic we use in terms of inspection and it's, um, and it's a good way of remembering uh, some of the key neurological symptoms you might see is SWIFT. Um, so assessing for any scars, wasting, involuntary movements, fasciculations and tremors. But alongside that, we want to be assessing also for any skin changes, bruising and swelling um, and the symmetry and um, posture that we spoke, I spoke about just now. Um, uh, important to look for any sort of kind of axillary type scars. Um, so if there's going to be any recent surgery and thinking about sort of brachial plexus over the brachial plexus area that might impact on sort of peripheral nerve examination um, as well. Good. So general inspection. Ask the patient if they've got any pain. Ask the patient to, to, to stop if they do get any pain. Because um, we're going to go on to assess tone. Um, and we're going to be assessing tone all the joints, starting at the wrist, elbow, and up to the shoulder. Um, as before, we spoke about hypotonia and hypertonia, um, and different um, different sorts of um, positive findings we might find on a tone examination, which could include spasticity, um, which might indicate a previous um, uh, pyramidal tract lesion, such as stroke, or rigidity. Um, which could be seen in the form of um, cogwheeling, such as in Parkinson's um, as well. Um, and <laughs> the way we're going to um, assess the tone is by basically asking the patient, can you shake my hand? Mm -hmm. Which is always very nice and something we're not allowed to do in COVID times. So a <laughs> little bit of rule breaking for the clinical purpose <laughs> with PPE in situ. Of so hold the patient's hand if you're going to shake it, but ask the patient to relax their arm as much as possible and you're supporting their elbow and you're going to rotate the forearm. I'm rotating you, the 
Jamie, aren't I, on the screen? Sorry, you are a little bit moving me around there. Flexing and extending the wrist and using varying speed and movement throughout because um, that will really try um, and elicit any of the spasticity or it'll basically enhance it and, and make it a bit um, a bit more apparent um, and any of the rigidity or cogwheeling type the type of movements that you might notice. Um, and then we're going to move up the arm and flex and extend the elbow again. We're going to be doing that at different speeds and movements throughout. Um, and then again, moving up to the shoulder. And it, uh, you often find the higher you move up, the more the patient then starts to try and help you. And you find them sort of lifting their shoulder up and trying to move away from you. And again, it's just reminding them throughout, you need to relax for me. Let me take the weight of your arm. No moving your arm for me. Just drop drop that down to the bed. Um, and just sort of reiterating that throughout. So that's tone. We've covered tone. Excellent. Um, so then we would go on to assess power. Um Again, patients quite like doing this test, actually. When you when you start doing with them, they, they find it quite fun. Um, uh, because they get to put their arms up like a boxer. I think that's the best part for them. <laughs> um, and also the women just put their, their, like, flex their elbows up normally, and the men actually get a stance like they're actually in a boxing ring. Um, so you ask the, uh, the patient um, that we're going to assess the power in their arms, so they're going to have to... Um, do some resistant movements to, to you pulling and pushing their arms. Um, and what you would find in terms of abnormal findings as we move through this this part of the examination is that in upper most neuron disorders that your extensors are a bit worse than your flexors, so you'll find that there's increased weakness to extensors on this um, on upper limb neuro as opposed to the lower limb side, uh, which is vice versa. Um, uh, in terms of um, lower motor neuron signs for a upper neurological examination, you might find that there's some proximal weakness to the muscular um, in muscular diseases um, and distal weakness in things like neuropathies. Um, you need to isolate each joint, as as we mentioned, the lower limb examination, um, and compare side to side. So don't be testing them at the same time, which is often really tempting because we try and save time, don't we, in our examination? But actually, that just potentially completely negates the point of doing the whole test in the first place if we're not picking up the um, abnormal findings through rushing ourselves take your time um so we're going to be assessing abduction of the arm um flexion and extension of the elbow um abduction um uh, and adduction of the digits um and uh, flexion and extension of the digits as well using the same motor um, examination rating score of 0 to 5 um, that we discussed in the lower um, motor neuro and um, lower <laughs> that we <laughs> that we um... <clears throat> so using the same scoring system that we used in the lower limb um, uh, neurological examination Good. So, uh, testing shoulder abduction, um, C5, and adduction, um, C6, C7. Uh, elbow flexion, C5, C6, um, uh, and extension, C7, C8. Wrist um, flexion, C6, C7, and extension, C6. Um, and finger abduction, um, or flexion of the things, I should say, um, C8. Um, and then thumb abduction testing T1. So we've covered all of the dermatones for the upper um, upper limb myotones. So we've covered all of the myotones for the upper limb really? at that stage. Um, in terms of 
finding lesions. So uh, I guess there's always a point where we need to take this back to sort of the pathophysiology behind it. Um, and essentially what we're assessing is this corticospinal tract, so the motor tract, um, uh, and this depositates in the spinal cord. And if there's a problem with the cord, the brain, the myotome, or the peripheral nerve at any stage, then that's where we're going to see the abnormality. Um, so in terms of um, testing our peripheral nerves, um, we would be assessing for ulnar radial or medial nerve um, impairment. Um, and we test that by testing wrist extension, finger abduction, um, and then thumb abduction um, against resistance um, to see if there's any weakness there. Um, and that can be a, as a consequence of brachial plexus type injuries. It could be fractures that have injured the nerve on the way down, um, palsies. Um, so many, many reasons for peripheral nerve um, impairments. Um, moving through our power assessment. Um, now, um, we're going to be assessing pronated drift. Now, pronated drift isn't just an assessment of power. It's also an assessment of proprioception and coordination. Um, but it is incredibly sensitive. So it's 80% sensitive um, in terms of its um, diagnostic. It's 80% sensitive, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, it needs to really um, be done uh, isolating, so make sure the patient's got the right place so you're getting rid of the visual um, stimulus um, there. Uh, and we're truly assessing both power and coordination. You ask the patient to hold their palms up to the ceiling and lift their arms off the bed um, to about shoulder height um, and ask them to keep their hands there so you can even place the patient's hands where you want them and say I just need to keep your hands there for me close your eyes and keep your hands there and you need to give it a bit of time I think sometimes this can sometimes be a little bit rushed as well we need to make sure that we're given adequate time to see if there is any downward drift of the hand which would indicate a loss of power or indeed if there is a um, supination of the hand which would then um, indicate sort of a, a pronototype drift. Uh, a pro, um, a, um, a pronated drift, um, which might be present um, uh, in terms of um, strokes uh, and indicate a loss of proprioception. It's normally contralateral um, to where your lesion is as well. Uh, so that's our power dump. Moving on to coordination. C for um, coordination coordination so um, in terms of our testing coordination uh, this takes a bit of explaining to the patient sometimes because otherwise there's hands um, going everywhere and, and they're not sure which one's supposed to be doing what um, often what I do is ask the patient to place their right hand down on their knee and we're just going to test your left hand so don't move your right hand just keep it on your knee there for me or even physically put my hand over their hand so it keeps it down and stops it from moving and ask them to place their left finger on their nose um, and they're explaining that they're going to touch the tip of your finger on the pad and then they're going to touch their nose um, and that they have to go backwards and forwards as quickly as they possibly can. Um, essentially, you'll find that there could be some um, tremors that develop um, when the finger, uh, so inattention type tremors can develop as the finger um, reaches the end point of deliberate movement. So again, you need to make sure that you're actually truly testing them in full extension of the arm. Um, and not placing your hand too close and making it a bit too easy for them because you won't pick up on some of those really fine inattention tremors that could be there. Um, a positive finding would be that the patient would either overshoot your finger or would either overshoot their nose and they end up sort of tapping themselves on the cheek 
um, and just missing their nose completely. Um, and essentially, it's a um, it's a sign of a cerebellar sign, and normally it's ipsilateral. So if you're testing the left side, then it would be a left sided lesion um, that you could potentially be looking at. So that's finger to nose testing, uh, and then we're going to go on to test um, for dysdiadokinesis. Well, everyone's favourite um, word. Everyone's favourite word. To... Sorry. Everyone's favourite word. This one. <laughs> nobody wants a certain set of notes, so they just write DDK, don't they? Yeah. So DDK. Um, uh, there's lots of videos that demonstrate um, a positive finding for DDK, and essentially, what you're asking the patient to do is to hold one hand still. Um, and then clap um, on the front of their, on their palm rest, and then the, um, uh, palmar dorsal aspect of their hand. Uh, palmar aspect. Palmar? Okay, so it's like that. And then turning? I'm demonstrating it now. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it on a, on a podcast, really. So you ask the patient to clap uh, the back of the hand and the front of the hand and switch in between the two. Yeah. So clapping backwards and forwards, but holding the left hand still, for instance, and clapping backwards and forwards with the right hand. And they should be able to pronate and supinate their hand beautifully and clap either side without much difficulty. Um, what you can find is um, that they can get a fluctuation in terms of speed. Um, you might notice, say, ataxia, where they're just not able to then pronate their hand properly, um, or that they're not even able to pronate it at all, which is what I've seen previously, and they've been clapping at irregular intervals, and um, and then have been able to perform the test absolutely fine using their other hand. It's normally an ipsilateral finding for cerebellar pathology, so the same side that they're have their clinical finding they um i think patients are sometimes surprised as well the ones that have had positive findings on this particular test have been really surprised that it's there because you wouldn't ordinarily test yourself with this it's not something you would ordinarily notice and um, so lots of reassurance if they do have a positive finding because i think it scares them and freaks them out a little bit um so um moving on to sensation then mm -hmm. uh, and we're going to be testing each of the uh, dermatomes um, we of which there are many many pictures of different dermatomes on the internet so is establishing which one you either been taught by so whatever you've been taught in university and they're going to be testing you on in your OSCE examination I would use that dermatome picture um, because that's where they're expecting you to test the dermatomes but there's quite a bit of variation that you can find when you look up on the internet dermatomes of the arms and the legs so they're not always quite as consistent as we'd like them to be so testing the dermatomes we're going to be using a number of modalities again so using um, light touch um, sharp and blunt vibration and then obviously proprioception there are a number of sensory tracks um, and the sensory examination is targeting individual tracks using different modalities that's why we use four different ones um, so the spinal salamic depth states in its own vertical level above and it's really sensitive to pain and temperature uh, whereas the dorsal tracks depth states in the medulla and is sensitive to vibration and um, position so it's essentially picking up any kind of deficits in proprioception so starting with light touch, we're, we ask the patient if they can feel um, some cotton wool just in the middle of their chest, if it feels normal to them, uh, and that they're going to feel you um, touching down the arms um, and to let you know, if, one, they can feel it both sides, and we're testing the side to side, so right to left, um, for the same dermatome, um, and does it feel the same both sides? 
Um, so um, asking the patient just to say yes each time you touch them and clarifying with the patient afterwards, does it feel the same both, each, um, both sides? Um, so uh, neurotip moving on to differentiate between sharp, sharp and um, blunt touch. Um, and that's off, um, that's testing the spinothalamic tracts again, so um, to see if there's a deficit there. And it gets you to really pinpoint where that lesion, if there is a lesion, could possibly be. Excellent. Um, we go on to do vibration. With the tuning fork? Um, with the tuning fork, 128 megahertz, <laughs> no more, no less. <laughs> um, and... Um, ask the patient if they can feel it in the centre of their chest as a as a sort of um, a test really to begin with so they know what they're going to be feeling. Um, starting at the, the most distal um, phalanx, uh, interphalangeal joint, sorry, um, asking the patient to close their eyes so we've taken out the sensor, sensory aspect in terms of vision um, and asking uh, when they can feel the tuning fork stop vibrating, you stop it vibrating. If they don't have sensation distally, then you keep moving up each of the joints until you get to a point where the patient is able to feel the vibration and feel it stopping. Um, good. That's testing good, the good, dorsal good. columns um, in terms of um, the potential uh, source of a lesion if there were a lesion uh, or an abnormality in terms of your findings. Lastly, moving on to appropriate session, so uh, assessing joint position and, and how the patient perceives that joint position. Um, holding the distal phalanx of the patient's thumb at the sides, and again, making sure that you're holding it at the sides, and we mentioned this in the lower limb neurological examination. This is really fine movement, and the reason we're holding it at the sides is because we don't want to be eliciting a response from things like pressure receptors, which we have loads in our fingers, because and toes because you're not really supposed to bend them back or bend them in odd positions are you nope. um, so we're really sensitive in terms of pressure in those particular areas um, so in terms of holding the distal veins of the thumb either side and moving the thumb up and down either side as well so not holding over the pulp and not holding over the nail bed um, asking the patient, so I often do this with patients' eyes open to start with to show them what I'm doing with their thumb, um, and then asking them to close their eyes and just say to me each time whether their thumb is pointing up, down, or in the middle. And it's really small, gentle movements um, to detect an abnormality. Good. So that's all of our sensation completed. Um, so we'd go on then to perform our reflexes. And the reflexes of the upper um, limb neurological examination are a bicep jerk, which tests C5, C6, a tricep jerk that tests C7, C8. And then we're going to have our supinator jerk that tests um, C5, C6. Um, and essentially, um, this is all technique and the patient having to be very, very relaxed. Um, it's good to watch other clinicians do um, reflexes, actually, because um, everyone's got different techniques for how they they do it and um, not one size fits all. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's quite a good a good thing to, to watch some of your colleagues and see how um, how they how they do it and how they um, manage to elicit um, the reflexes. Um, so, again, similar to... Um, to the lower limb neurological, neurological examination. So a hyperreflexia, a really very quick, very brisk, uh, pronounced uh, reflexes could be a sign of an upper motor neurobone disorder. Whereas a hyperreflexia or even a reflexia may be an example of um, a lower motor neurone pathology. 
um, presentation. Good. So that's our reflexes done. Excellent. And um, do you want to talk about the sort of um, like distraction reinforcement techniques with reflexes? Um, I don't know if we mentioned that Um, in the lower limb, um, but, you know, ways you can sort of distract your patient so that it it helps you elicit the reflexes. Um, So asking the patient to clench their teeth. So if you count to three, one, two, three, clench your teeth. Um, uh, Within the lower limb, you can get them to clasp their hands together and and, um, clench their hands and pull their hands apart. Um, as another example that wouldn't be terribly helpful in an upper limb neuro because obviously they would be tensing their arms which would completely hinder your ability to do a reflex um, but yeah there's a, there's quite a few actually a, good, a few techniques online if you have a read around that you can um, you can do just to try and get the patient to relax enough to be able to elicit the response brilliant um, I guess also just a note with reflexes is that the more you do it, the less likely you are to get a response as well because yeah. you're just overstimulating. So sometimes if you're just not winning, to come away and to go back at a later time is actually just beneficial. Cool. And just, you know, nobody has ever hurt their patient with a tendon hammer, or at least not the the proper bit of it anyway. You know, see yeah. people are really tentative about hitting their patient with it and you go, yeah, just just, just go for it. Nice, clean, swinging action. Let's let the tendon hammer do the work. <laughs> uh, right, so moving on to function yeah. as the yeah. final aspect of our upper limb neuro examination. Um, and this really, again, um, performing movements smoothly really does depend upon having a intact sensory and motor function, but also cerebellum. So actually it's quite complex, isn't it, doing sort of fine and gross motor movements. Um, we ask uh, the patient if they could pick something up for us and just pop it across into their other hand and pop it down for us. Um, you might ask them to take the watch off if they've got a watch and they're wearing a watch because that involves um, quite fine motor movements or indeed um, undoing or doing up a button on their shirt if they've got a shirt on or on a cuff of their sleeve um, and just assessing that they're able to do that. Um, Buttons are quite good because it assesses both hands at the same time, so you can assess both hands um, at the same time in terms of function. Um, And that concludes our upper limb neurological examination. Um, So just remembering the system of in the Philippines, children still run free. Um, and uh, the specific components that are relevant for upper limb neuro and the ones that are relevant for lower limb neuro um, just slightly, slightly differ, obviously. Um, so it's just remembering which one slot into where. Excellent. And I'll stick the uh, Geeky Medics video on the blog as well. Perfect. And, uh, yeah, thank you very much, Lucy. Thank you, Jamie. Bye.